Right, so we are back with another episode of Nurse Marketing, the business of nursing, and we have a special guest with us, Victor, who um, I'm going to share a little bit about Victor. And But first of all, just to recap, with the business of nursing, the goal is to have conversations with interesting people that are doing amazing things in the healthcare industry at the bedside and beyond with the goal of helping my listeners to see what all is out there, uh, what's actually happening in real life, because sometimes in healthcare, we're spending time with a fax machine, right? We're spending time with a fax machine and other things that are very antiquated, but there's amazing things happening, as I mentioned, um, that are moving, healthcare is moving forward in an interesting way. And I want to bring as much of that back to you as possible. And also, you know, some of you guys, you're in different areas of the healthcare industry. And it's also nice to know what's happening in the other silos. Unfortunately, silos do exist. So Victor came on my radar actually by participating in a tweet chat. I came across his company, uh, read a little bit and I said, hey, I'd like to have you on. So um, Victor worked in varied engineering disciplines and in the military before completing his master's at MIT, where he conducted NASA-sponsored human-machine interaction research and a clinical study at Mass General Brigham. His grandmother inspired him to start Care Coach to support patients and caregivers through a fusion of human software intelligence. So, Victor, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, Amelia. So tell me a little bit about your journey into what you're doing now. There's always a story behind from where people went, got from point A in various engineering disciplines to being the founder of this company. Tell me a little bit about what brought you here. Sure. So I was in grad school and busy with a lot of stuff. And then I ended up working on, because I was always interested in robotics and was kind of a tech geek growing up, obviously. (laughs) But then kind of ended up getting into human subjects research. And I was at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston working on a sleep study about how fatigue affects astronaut performance. And so the connection here is basically at one point I realized that my grandmother in Taiwan was really lonely the whole time I was growing up and that there's actually the same concept of telerobotics or teleoperation or telepresence can be used to deliver a tremendous amount of value without necessarily having a big robot at the end. Just kind of being there and talking with somebody like my grandmother can deliver a lot of value. And at the time, there was actually all the research was coming out and starting to get into popular media about how loneliness is similar to you know things like diabetes or hypertension or obesity or smoking, very similar to other chronic conditions and health risk factors and in increasing morbidity, increasing mortality, and increasing healthcare costs. So I figured there must be some kind of business around building psychosocial relationships with older adults. And that was the genesis of Care.Coach. Awesome. So tell me about your unique value proposition. Like why do you or customers or your clients or people who are partnering with you now choose you to help them to meet the goals they're trying to accomplish for their organization? For the most part, these days we work with health plans and we help them to better meet the needs of their top 5% population who account for 50% of all healthcare costs. So this is probably not people like you and I here on the podcast. It, It will generally correlate to age. So the individuals in our target population will tend to be older adults, you know, elderly and they'll tend to have multiple chronic conditions 
but also multiple psychosocial risk factors that might not show up on a medical record, like they might be lonely, for example. They might have some undiagnosed cognitive impairment. And of course, they might have depression or they might have anxiety. And we help the plans to better engage, build strong relationships with this population and affect behaviors that keep people out of the hospital, out of the emergency department or ED and reduce the need for home services by keeping people independent and self-managing better. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was you, but were you the one who told the story of, so there are some ER case managers who are looking at, at frequent flyers in the emergency room to find out, you know, why they keep coming back and challenges and that they found out that this one person in particular was coming there for like adult interaction. Were you the one who told me that or was it someone else? I'll, I'll continue um, the story. I mean, I've heard that plenty of times. I'm that. not sure. About yeah. No, maybe yeah, it, wasn't it could you. have been any number of people involved in the industry, I guess. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't specifically remember talking about that. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody, um, might even be like, to be quite honest, at my own facility, but they were saying that's what they did. They did chart reviews of um, frequent fires, reached out, and upon further communication with this one particular person, it really was they were reaching out because they were lonely. And so what they decided to do, like the intervention they decided was to just do check-in calls with, to them every so often to see how they're doing and what's new. And guess what? The ER visits went down. So yeah. um, lots of great information. And if you have like any you know, links to research articles around what you do or what you've done, I think you did share yeah. something with me. www.care.coach slash publications. Okay, cool. Awesome. So I'll definitely link to that. So you mentioned um, loosely about, you know, some, you know, social determinants of health factors that you help address. And, you know, by taking care of the top 5%, you know, you definitely are caring for the highest users of healthcare. But let's drill down a little bit more. What's at stake if people do not have this problem solved, if this just goes on unaddressed? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's a difficult issue because traditionally the way that the plans or some healthcare system might address the issues, well, first of all, the issues are very complex because the thing about people getting older is uh, your kind of overall health situation doesn't get any simpler. You know, there's the, there's the influence between common chronic conditions like diabetes, hypertension, heart failure, COPD, and all these psychosocial challenges and social isolation that I mentioned. And then, you know, without overly generalizing, there's a correlation between age, especially advanced age, and poor engagement with a lot of the technology-based solutions that are out on the market. And so uh, it's difficult for technology-based solutions to really address a lot, of, a lot of these problems that are kind of multifactorial, especially at scale. And then the traditional way would then be through you know, having nurses frequently call, <laughs> as you mentioned, right, the population at hand and kind of check in with them try to do coaching and so on. And it's extremely labor intensive. And, you know, as your listenership probably is well aware, there's a huge lack of nursing uh, workforce here in the country, especially geriatric trained and specialized workforce. And so uh, that's not very scalable either. I mean, you can have kind of great case studies of programs that are very successful, but, you know, in order to scale them across all of the individuals across the country that could benefit from 
from a, a lot of human engagement, relationship building, day-to-day coaching. Uh, it's simply not scalable to just you know rely on phone calls and, and home visits. So those are the problems. And of course, you know <laughs> the, the entire healthcare system is uh, economically strained as a result. And it, it carries on. I mean, one of the goals of your program, as I understand, is to help people understand what's out there in the world beyond the walls of the hospital, but actually this also is applicable inside the hospital. And a concrete example is what we do for older adults who are at risk for delirium and falls in the hospital. It actually turns out that that the primary cause of falls among hospitalized elders is delirium. And if you can prevent delirium, you can actually prevent falls way before having to have the alarm bells go off on the bed alarm. And so what we do is prevent delirium. But in order to prevent delirium, you need a proactive approach. You need to actually talk very frequently with the person and execute engagement-based protocols like orientation to time, place, person and saying like, good morning, Amelia. It's eight o'clock. Have you had breakfast yet? How's the food in the hospital? Uh, Do you know your nurse's name for this shift? And maybe like doing some bed exercises throughout the day, talking the patient through that, maybe like just keeping them awake during the day and active so they can sleep properly at night so they don't have a disrupted sleep cycle. And then at night, you know, asking them to see if they need earplugs or an eye mask or want to hear some relaxing music. A lot of this kind of stuff, which is very labor intensive, but is developed over the course of decades and something called the hospital elder life program is a great example that has a lot of evidence around how it reduces delirium and and then also then reduces falls by 40 plus percent just through a couple of of visits from typically med school students who are volunteers throughout the day but then as you can imagine uh, this is just a concrete example in an isolated use case in the hospital of how you know, the traditional paradigm isn't really scalable because, you know, here are these massive problems of falls in the hospital. Gelato nursing, you know, if any any nursing leader out there will, will know the problem with falls in the hospital is the health plans don't pay for it. It's considered what's called a never event. So the hospital's on the hook and then they get sued and it's not good for their quality ratings. And then delirium increases length of stay in the hospital. It's a $130 billion a year problem in the U.S. But the solution of the hospital elder life program, despite how effective it is, it's only in a couple hundred hospitals because of its dependency on increased amount of human workforce. So an example of something that we're doing to overcome that problem, which is this, you know, combination of resource constraints and uh, combined with like the, the magnitude of the problems that we would like to solve if we had unlimited resources. Uh, we're solving it through applying our avatar technology to basically scale human workforce and you know, enable nursing teams to be much more effective with, this, with the same amount of you know, nurse resources uh, and to work at the top of their license. So we actually have a funding grant from the National Institute of Nursing Research is one of our federal awards to help do a larger randomized controlled trial that builds on some of the evidence we have already around how our avatars reduce delirium and falls by 80 plus percent among hospitalized elders. Awesome. So tell me a little bit more about that. Like how, so how does your solution, um, how is your solution something, because you mentioned there are different things out there, but 
when it comes to technology-based solutions, there's poor engagement. Um, how have you guys found a way to address that with your solution? Yeah, so the solution is one to acknowledge that modern artificial intelligence technologies, more specifically automatic speech recognition, natural language processing, or the buzzword these days is natural language understanding, and then natural language generation in back end of speech, that whole artificial intelligence-based loop for building a conversational interaction is simply not there yet for our target population. So, for example, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just like give Siri to somebody's grandmother to keep them company. Like that would not be the use case. You know, maybe Siri would be good for scheduling. You know, a Siri-like technology. I'm just using that as a, as an example because everybody knows Siri. But you know, it would be good at maybe scheduling an appointment or playing you a music track that you like. But I wouldn't rely on it for actual companionship and relationship building. And that's because that kind of interaction requires what we in the AI industry call open domain conversations and freeform conversations that artificial intelligence is just not good at. And so. That's step one is to acknowledge that, <laughs> which uh, you know a lot of companies out there kind of oversell artificial intelligence these days. But if you kind of understand the limitations for this target population, then the solution is then to recognize that we still need people for what people are good at, which is conversational understanding, especially when talking with you know typically people of advanced age and so on, and then leveraging their kind of characteristics of empathy and compassion and relational ability. And then if you, if you do that and you're deciding to target a population that has 24-7 risk factors like anxiety, loneliness, depression, heart failure, you know, propensity for, for a stroke and, you know, all, all these types of things, if you're targeting that population, you kind of have to provide 24-7 support because we'll have people who have you know, an anxiety attack at 2 a.m. And if you're not there to talk with them or if they don't have a relationship with you strong enough that they'll turn to you and talk with you instead of just hitting 911, um, that could be a completely avoidable you know, $2,000 visit to the ED or the hospital. So, so we have to be there around the clock, which then requires around the clock team of people if you're trying to leverage human conversational intelligence and empathy. And so, so we do that and we use these online work platforms to hire people globally to solve the workforce challenges in this country. So we're able to economically you know, staff 24-7 large amounts of human intelligence and empathy behind our system. But then you have the same problem that a lot of healthcare systems and home care agencies and so on have, which is then now you have this whole team and the patient needs to interact with seven or eight different people in a given week, which is very typical if you ask any home care agency owner that's providing 24-7 staffing for for their clients, and then the client gets a really poor experience. So the patient or the health plan member, the client, or the, the resident, they will very often refuse care because they get all these different people coming in and out of their lives, and it's really jarring of an experience. It's not a good experience. And so to solve that problem, we integrate our entire team of people into a single persona using an avatar and so that avatar is displayed on a tablet device that we provide and it has the same appearance, voice, persona, memories 24-7. And we found that 
it makes it a lot easier for a client, a patient, a health plan member to build a relationship, a longitudinal, long-term relationship around the clock with that avatar than it is to build a relationship with a bunch of different people. And so, so that's kind of the core of it. And then, you know, once you have an avatar on a tablet screen, you can decide what the avatar is going to look like. And of course, we're not looking to replace a doctor, replace a nurse or anything. So we have no reason for it to look like what you might imagine, like an adult person on a screen, you know, maybe wearing a lab coat or something, especially because we're not looking to give people the impression that we're there to diagnose them or or, or treat them or give them medical advice. We're there to kind of coach them and support them in their self-management instead of that. So and actually what we do is we have the avatar look like an adorable little dog or cat. And there's a lot of evidence to show that simulated pet therapy is equally as effective as artificial pet therapy. So there's benefits as far as, you know, like stress response and the cortisol actually affects gene expression in response to stress and everything. All these kinds of effects are very similar between simulated pets and live animals. So we figure, you know, if we have the choice of appearance in the avatar, we might as well take advantage of that. And as a result, we have this very open non-judgmental type of relationship. And we find that our clients tell their avatar all sorts of things that it might not occur to them to even be a healthcare problem. So for example, uh, they might tell their avatar, oh, I'm, I'm sweltering. It's, it's boiling in here. My AC is broken. I can't afford to fix it. I don't know what I'm going to do. And maybe to this health plan member, that doesn't seem like a healthcare problem, so it wouldn't occur to them to tell their health plan. But in fact, we have customers that are these PACE or Program of All-Inclusive Care for the elderly health plans, and you know, it, they will actually want to know that, and they'll, the health plan will actually send somebody in to fix the air conditioning unit to prevent this older adult from getting heat stroke, let's say, in, in the middle of Boston's summer. And so you know, they'll tell their avatar just because they have this kind of just day-to-day friendly relationship with their avatar but they'll tell their avatar oh I, I fell in the shower you know my my knees banged up pretty bad i think i might be okay but don't tell my daughter she'll put me in a nursing home <laughs> mm-hmm. but they'll you know they'll tell their avatar that um and it's an important thing to know within the context of healthcare affecting their risk and affecting how we might coach them to reduce the risk of falls in the future because those can be life-changing events. And, you know, they'll tell their avatar because of this kind of 24-7, kind of lighthearted, open, non-judgmental relationship. But it wouldn't occur to them to tell their ordinary caregiving team. So we're kind of this this new augment to the care team that would not, not otherwise have been possible and certainly not otherwise have been economical to provide 24-7. Wow, this is amazing. We're, you know, living in a day of voice search and, you know, different things capturing our conversations and to hear how capturing conversations is being used in a way that actually supports improving care is absolutely amazing. So tell us more about like how you are building relationships and partnering. I love talking about collaborations. I know that that's just how business works. Apple partners with Nike, Starbucks founder Tivana. So tell me about some of your best strategic conversations that have helped you help more people. Yeah, one of the exciting areas that we're getting into is Medicare Advantage. And, you know, the other thing about business is non-disclosure agreements. So unfortunately, I can't get into (laughs) too many details. But for several years now, we've been working with these PACE or Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly Health Plans that work in what the healthcare system calls a capitation-based model. 
which is basically, you know, instead of fee for service where, where, uh, you know, you go to the hospital and the hospital gets paid and you get your back surgery and the surgeon gets paid and the radiologist gets paid and, and everybody just gets paid based on what they do. It's, it's, it's a system where there's a at risk organization like the health plan and they get paid by head. So cap is Latin for head. So capitation means the plan gets paid by head and they take on the full risk of that member. And so instead of being incentivized to just kind of, you know, for the healthcare system to be incentivized to just, you know, do whatever, whatever comes up, you know, let's just do that MRI. Let's just give you that injection. Let's give you that surgery. Let's, you know, let's just do everything. Everybody gets paid anyways. (laughs) That's kind of the fee for service model. Um, and then the capitation model puts an organization it responsible for the healthcare costs and they're responsible for the outcome. So as long as they maintain the health and well-being of this person that they're charged to maintain the health and well-being of, they're also at risk for the cost of doing that. And so that is a model that's really exciting to me as an entrepreneur trying to you know, fix the healthcare system and the costs involved in the healthcare system. And so the type of health plan that I mentioned, PACE, is a great example of that. And so there's there's a hundred and something different PACE health plans across the country. If any listeners have a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or just any other friend or loved one who's getting to that age, and if they're eligible for Medicare and especially if they're also eligible for, for both Medicare and the state Medicaid program, please do Google PACE program and then type in your zip code because they're by zip code and you can really save somebody's life that way because that program can keep people out of a nursing home and basically living their best life in their own home for as long as possible thanks to this kind of interdisciplinary care that that the plan will provide through this interdisciplinary care team. And then because the payment model is structured this way, you know, they'll actually send home visits, they'll send shuttles to take their member, their health plan member to this day program and so on. Um, so it's a great program. And I, I just throw that out there because, because I believe that every time we create awareness about this kind of program, we save some lives because <laughs> the alternative in that scenario is to go to a nursing home and, you know, there's a lot of evidence to show that the outcomes and and the costs as well are better with the PACE health plan. And then one one of the things that we've done recently is expand our experience with these types of health plans into Medicare Advantage. So we're now working with some of the nation's leading uh, Medicare Advantage plans, which are kind of like the capitation-based version of traditional Medicare, the traditional fee-for-service Medicare, the, you know, the capitation version of that is Medicare Advantage. So that's kind of the world that we're living in these days and growing in. And it's very exciting because these organizations have access to millions of members across the country, you know, and even the top 5% of that population is a lot of people that we can help and, you know, keep living their best lives for as long as possible, keep out of the hospital. Sounds amazing. So a lot of nurses who are listening, they see problems in the healthcare system, they see solutions, or they are thinking of solutions that they should offer and they could offer, and um, that would help reduce a lot of the problems that they see. Did you wake up with the relationships that you have now? I'm not asking you to violate any non-disclosure statements. However, when it comes to you know developing the relationships that you have now, did you wake up with them or did people introduce you to people? Did you go to specific networking events? How mm-hmm. did you start to develop the relationships that have allowed you to help out so many people? 
Yeah, it's all been pretty organic, actually. So to start out as just kind of a new entrepreneur, there was, you know, there's these accelerator programs and you meet a lot of great people. And then, uh, you know, we've, we've obviously been to conferences and set up meetings, but lately it's been pretty organic and people have kind of found us and kind of reached out, uh, especially the Medicare or advantage organizations they're kind of uh notoriously hard to get into because they have very high standards for the types of solutions that they choose to work with there's very high standards for for example evidence base and demonstrated efficacy and the robustness of the companies that they choose to work with so yeah actually we haven't done a whole lot of outreach people have have recently kind of found us and we've had the fortune of just kind of having a very compelling and interesting type of product and so we've had good media coverage. For example, we have a Wired article about how we've helped you know, families living with dementia all the way through end of life and end stage Alzheimer's disease um, and just kind of helping that person to self-manage their health risks, take their medications, helping the family caregivers. And so that that was a story and, you know, we're in Reader's Digest and so on that has kind of brought in some great inbound interest from people who you know recognize these problems already and are looking for solutions that that can uniquely address this population Hmm. thank you so much let's talk actionable tips you said people found you um how did you secure the wired placement and reader's digest placement (laughs) to to be honest that was also the uh the, the journalist found us so i think like uh I guess we haven't had to try as hard on promotion because we've tried really hard on the product. Mm. I mean, I hate to say, like, yeah. I, yeah. I don't believe in the, in, the, in the phrase, you know, build it and they will come. We're just like build a great product and people will use it. I don't think that's actually true at all. But, well, maybe there's some truth to it. I should, okay. <laughs> there must be some truth to it because we actually haven't focused a whole lot on promotion. And kind of as word has gotten out, I think journalists, I mean, it, you know, it's a, it's a talking dog in basically a magical picture frame that just works. And it's this like, you know, unique combination of human and software intelligence. There's really no other product like it. And I think a lot of people, you know, once there's an article or two and there's kind of a blog post or two about it and there's ways for people to find out, then more people find out. And, uh, you know, journalists who are looking for interesting stories notice and realize like wow there's this is really interesting and there's nothing else like it mm-hmm. uh i think is a big aspect to that and then just kind of obviously being really open to you know when people reach out just being open to talking with them and kind of taking advantage of opportunities is, has been my approach sounds good and um to my listeners um i always promise you to take away an actionable tip what i want you to take away from what victor said is that a lot of these marketing gurus say that you have to have 13 pieces of content every day. You have to be all over the place with your content development and have an editorial team of 12 just to get the word out about what you do. But really listen to what Victor said. It really was just a couple of media placements. And then when they did get interest, he picked up the phone or he answered the call and he talked to people. And so 
I'm a fan, Victor, of the Dream 100 strategy. That's about, it's really, you really do just need one or two yeses. Amazing yeses can go um, take you in places that you never thought you'd be. Just a couple yeses, not necessarily a thousand true fans or anything like that. So you heard it from Victor's mouth. He said that there's been a couple media places. Uh, they're very specific about a specific type of problem they solve. So journalists who are writing on that specific problem, they happen upon him quite easily. So um, listeners, please be very specific and detailed and don't be afraid of that about the problem that you solve when you're describing it. Or if you do decide to pitch journalists, which is not that hard to do, just make it make so that your solution is something that is relatable. It's not vague or random. It's something that can be found when people are, you know, looking for what it is that you have to offer. And then, you know, also if you choose to reach out or if you are featured, just be prepared for the interest. Have a phone number, have a way for people to reach out to you and be timely about responding to people who want to know more. So um, speaking of that, um, how can people learn more about what you're doing, what you're up to? Do you have anything coming up? Yeah, Mm -hmm. feel free to reach out. (laughs) Like I said, happy to talk. You know, if if anybody has interest in how we can help their population or how we can collaborate, you can reach us at care.coach. That's our entire URL. (laughs) If you had a .com, that's another company. And then feel free to email me directly as well, Victor, V-I-C-T-O-R, at care.coach, C-A-R-E dot C-O-A-C-H. And yeah, I'm happy to chat and figure out how we might best make a bigger impact in this industry and, and to the individuals who need it. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Victor. Take care. Thanks, Amelia.